Genesis 18. Genesis 18. The sermon title this morning is The Continued uh, Promise. The Continued Promise. Before we get into the context, I want to ask you, what is impossible for God? What is impossible for God? I'm seeing uh, head shakes of nothing is impossible with God, and to that we would be correct. There is nothing that's impossible for God, but there are often times where our head and our hearts don't align, and that we might actually say, that's impossible. That lost loved one who's living in rebellion to God, that's impossible. That uh, leader in government who is acting and uh, propagating wickedness according to Scripture, there is no way that that person's going to be saved. That's impossible. We might say, we want to see this seemingly dead church to come back to life by the power of God's Spirit to reach our community here in Eastwood, our state of Kentucky, our nation, and our world by seeing people sent out by the power of the gospel to proclaim that to the lost so that they might bring glory to God. We might say that's impossible. And the question before us is the question that is before Abraham and Sarah. What is impossible for God? Because in the context of where we've seen us be in the last even just five or so chapters, we saw Genesis chapter 12 seeing and showing Abram, uh, this pagan who worshipped other gods, being called out of this life and his people to what? To faith in following Yahweh. We've seen God then make these promises that he would make uh, Abram and his offspring a mighty nation. Kingdoms would become of them. But what are we reminded of from Genesis 11? His wife is unable to have children. That while there are hopes that Abram and his offspring would be the, the promised seed, that the line would continue, there are continued thoughts, even in Abram and Sarai's mind. We've got to find another way, because this is impossible. And as this story has begun in Genesis 12 and the line of Abraham or the life of Abraham has continued, nothing has changed in their life except they've gotten older. That's right. The barrenness of Sarah, nothing has changed for the better. It's only changed for the worse. Even from where we left off in Genesis 17 to now, or from Genesis 16 into 17. Years have passed, and now Abraham is 99 years old. You may say, well, Methuselah lived to be 700 or 800 something. That time has come and gone. The typical age at that time was somewhere between 140 to 125, if you're lucky. So Abram, Abraham stands at 99 and Sarah at 90. 
and the promise seems impossible. Yet we see this glimmer of a continued promise in Genesis 17, as God has providentially and personally shown Abraham and Sarah, he's changed their nature and he's changed their names to continue to believe that this promise will come to pass. And where he might have started from a 30,000 foot view, God in his kindness zooms in as if to say, not by Hagar and Ishmael, but through Sarah and Isaac. It's to and through them that I will make my everlasting covenant. And where we pick up this morning in Genesis 18 is a continuing of this promise that Yahweh is providing through dead Abram and almost dead Sarah a seed. And it is a continued promise. We've come off of Genesis 17, where the continued reminder of offspring through Abraham has been met. And here we are in Genesis 18, verse 1, where God will show this continued promise and that he will, this is the main point, the Lord personally and providentially provides for his people. The Lord personally and providentially provides for his people. Verses 1 through 8, we see that the Lord reveals himself to Abraham there at the Oaks of Mamre. This is a, a, an area of which Abraham had continued to sojourn as he continued uh, to wait for these things to come to fruition. Uh, the Oaks of Mamre have been a, a continued reminder in Abraham's journey from the time that they went down uh, from Ur of the Chaldeans down into Egypt and then back up. It's been a place where they've camped before. But here something particular happens and that God himself shows up at Abraham's tent. You may say, how on earth do you know that? There are three men. Later in Genesis 18 and into 19, there are two angels who uh, will walk with Abraham and will reveal to Abraham God's design in his plan to bring judgment on wicked and evil Sodom and Gomorrah. And so it is very well respected that when Verse 1 says, and the Lord appeared to him. Abraham did not perhaps know that this is God himself, but this would be what is known as a theophany, that God shows up in a very real way. Similar to how God has shown up to Moses in Exodus, God shows up here in Genesis 18. And he shows up personally. He shows up at Abraham's tent, and there's something particular about the way in which Abraham responds. He doesn't kind of relax and say, hey guys, come on in. There is something respectful. This is most likely in the evening because as the story ties up towards the end of chapter 18, it says that in the morning uh, these things then transpire. So Abraham gets these welcomed visitors in the middle of the night. And what does he do? He doesn't delay, but he goes out and he continues. He shows immense hospitality. The 
writer of Hebrews picks up on this, that some have entertained angels unawares. That's the literal non-English correct grammar, but that is the way that the text reads. Some have entertained angels unawares that Abraham knows in some sense, but he doesn't fully know. But he knows they're here, they're guests, they need some hospitality. So he goes to Sarah in her tent and says, we've got to do this. We've got to prepare for them a meal for he recognizes that in their coming to him Abram or Abraham has found favor in the sight of God what a reminder of God personally speaking to Abraham God has been the one who has been the uh, one active in all of these things it wasn't Abraham uh, then Abram who was seeking out for God it was God who seeks out Abraham It is God who calls into Abram and says, leave this place and go to this place. It wasn't Abram who goes seeking for the Lord for these reminded promises. It's God who graciously speaks to him personally. That is why in this setting, God is called Yahweh. It is his personal name. It's his personal dealings with humanity. Yes, God sits enthroned on high. Yes, God made all of these things. God Almighty from Genesis 17 and and other places. Elohim. He is also Yahweh. The one who deals personally with us. And in this setting, he deals personally with Abraham and Sarah. So in response to this, Abraham goes and tells Sarah to prepare a meal. Three sias of fine flour. That is approximately 7.3 liters. I don't know if you guys have made pancakes one morning. I have a family of four, and I like pancakes. But I've never made 7.3 liters of pancake batter. Yet, I've also not been sojourning through the Mediterranean. I've also not descended from heaven as an angelic being to then go and do these different things. So, undoubtedly, Abraham is trying to pull out the red carpet and a feast because he does, in some senses, recognize this is something personal that's going on. This is something special. This is something that not everyone's going to be able to say about themselves. This is God's personal dealing with Abraham and Sarah. And aren't you glad that we, as those who have followed, as Abraham's seed in the faith, trusting in Christ, we also are entered into a personal covenant. That God himself, by his son, has personally entered into a covenant with us. That for those who believe, we are in covenant with him. And these promises that have been given in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and 17 and now again continued in 18, they show their fruition that God's promises are yes and amen in a seed in Christ. And therefore, we, if we have trusted, are in this covenant. 
So Abraham orders Sarah to make these things, to make uh, these cakes. And then he goes and he takes a, a, a bull, a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man. This is verse 7, who prepared it quickly. Then, verse 8, he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Other commentaries, other commentators, other pastors might settle more on the meal that partook, uh, that Abraham and Sarah partook with these three. But I think what is the thrust of this is what will come in the second part. Yahweh deals with us personally. He personally provides for his people and that he enters into covenant with them. He shows himself to them. That is what happens when our hearts are made to see. By the word of the gospel, our hearts have eyes. As Paul prays for the Ephesian church, that God would open their eyes of their hearts to see what is the immense measure of which God loves us in Christ. That's what happens with us. God personally deals with us in letting our hearts have eyes to see the goodness of God. And we who are far off, who distrust God's promises, who distrust perhaps the promises of others, maybe for good cause, maybe we've been wronged. Maybe we've found that there are some who are not to be trusted. Yet in this moment, God deals personally with us in Christ by allowing through the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see that God personally deals with us. What an amazing reality. Think back to your conversion where the eyes of your heart began to see Maybe, perhaps, in small measure, how sinful you were. To see that in our shame and in our disgrace, we might seek to, as our first parents, seek to hide. But no, God deals with us personally by sending Christ. He is not ashamed of our sin. Moses in Deuteronomy 18, writing in a similar time frame to the similar uh, audience, says that God is raising up a prophet from among you, from among your brothers. New Testament writers then pick up on that, that because Christ has come in the flesh, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed of our sin. He's not ashamed to affiliate with us. What an amazing reminder. As the world says, you must have no dealings with sinful humanity. The answer for the believer is, well, then where else do we go? There's sin in here because there's sin in here. Yet Jesus shows us over and over in his life and ministry that he is not ashamed to dine with sinners. He is not ashamed to deal with their sin, and he is not ashamed to tell them, go and sin no more. 
It's not a, hey, continue to do this. Everything's fine. We'll just look over that. I'm going to die for it anyway. No, he says, go and sin no more. That the covenant that I'm making in my blood will rescue and redeem you from the pit of darkness into the kingdom of marvelous light. Therefore, you won't want to affiliate with darkness. You'll want to walk in the light. God deals with us in that way. He continues to deal with us personally in that he personally, individually, places his spirit in our hearts. Proclaiming to us that we are children of God. Enabling us then to obeying the commands. Enabling us to be reminded that we have been dealt with tenderly, lovingly, graciously. For Abraham and Sarah, it is this continued reminder that God is personally affiliated, is united, is covenanted with them. So much so that he shows up for dinner. You know, that's a type of communion that we are called to. When Jesus talks about abiding in him, he roots that in the abiding nature of himself abiding in the Father. I and the Father are one. I am the branch, or you are the branches. I am the vine. Abide in me. We are called to daily communing with the personal God who has tabernacled with us. In Christ, he has put on flesh, he has dined with us, and he is awaiting another meal with us that is prepared. It is prepared for us, brothers and sisters, that this personal God is working from eternity past through Abraham and is continuing to work today. So whether you are doubting, let your hearts be uh, bolstered by this truth. The Lord personally deals with and provides for his people. Let's make that a little more personal because he's working in us personally. The Lord personally provides for you. He provides for you in Christ. He provides for you the bread of life in his word to walk in obedience day after day. He deals personally with you. But the Lord doesn't just personally provide for his people. He also providentially provides for his people. Verses 9 through 15. The Lord providentially provides for his people. Remember, we have seen Abram and Sarai taking into their own hands the plan of God's not working. One of my favorite football players is Peyton Manning. And when Peyton Manning, the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts and then the Denver Broncos, when he would get up there, he was famous for his audibles. Omaha. 
God doesn't need Abram and Sarai's audible. He needs them to continue to be faithfulness. And ultimately, what God needs is nothing because he is fully sufficient in and of himself. Yet at this moment, God providentially provides for his people by zooming in on the situation of a needed offspring for Abraham and Sarah. Three quick things of how the Lord providentially provides for his people, for Abraham and Sarah in particular. We see from verses 9 through 15 that this offspring will come through unexpected yet intended means. He will come through unexpected yet intended means. Abram and Sarai are looking at this situation as a purely mathematical or pragmatic problem. Abram's 99 at the time was 86. Abram is old. Sarah's always been barren and nothing's changed in her old age for the good. We need to um, figure this problem out. Enter Hagar, disobedience, uh, distrusting the faithfulness of God. They did not expect an offspring to come by the means that God provided. How true is that of us? Weaklings, sinners, saved by God's grace, heralds of the king to take to the nations the glorious message of the gospel. Unexpected. Yet this is the intended mean. This was exactly how God planned it out. But this is so true about God that he uses the most unexpected things. And so he uses Sarah, the barren 90-year-old Sarah, who testifies in and of herself, am I to be able to have a child at this age when the, the age of childbearing is beyond me that I would find pleasure? And, and if I even am, what about my Lord? What about, what about 99-year-old Abraham? And the refrain continues, is anything too hard for the Lord? This offspring is unexpected, yet is the intended means for the continued line of the faithful. This son would be the blessed son. In chapter 17, verses 15 through 19, we see that this Isaac will be the one who's blessed. And God said to Abraham, turn with me to uh, just one chapter back to the left, chapter 17, verse 15 through 19. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after 
him. This one is the blessed son and Sarah the blessed woman. Unexpected, yet intended. Unexpected, yet intended. There are so many stories throughout Old Testament and New Testament where God brings life out of dead things. In one sense, he's already done it through Abraham. By calling this uh, pagan Abram, this idolater, into covenant with himself. The scriptures remind us that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not, not like, yeah, we're, we're pretty bad. No, we're dead apart from Christ. Unexpected. Life from death. We see it then after or, or in the middle of the exile where the, the people of God have forgotten the way of God, the shepherds of God, the priests have forgotten the way of God. And here God gives this vision to Ezekiel where dead and dry bones come to life by the breath of God. Then we see an unexpected yet intended means show out in who a king of the universe would be. Isaiah 53 doesn't show us a kingly image. It doesn't show us the white steed with the chain mail armor and the giant sword. No, that will come. But this king is the humble king. Zephaniah 3 reminds us, rejoice. Here is your king, humble and lowly is he. There was nothing about his appearance, Isaiah 53, that we should look on him. We esteemed him not, stricken, afflicted, unexpected, yet intended. Unexpected in the eyes of all involved, Abraham and Sarah, yet precisely it is they whom the Lord had chosen to bless. Aren't you glad that the Lord knows his plans and his promises from before we were even made? So the answer to our question, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. But to continue to show how the Lord providentially provides for his people, he secondly will come at an unexpected yet appointed time. That when these messengers come to Sarah and Abraham at the, at the, the tree, the oaks of Mamre, they, they don't just give this you know, generic, yeah, we'll come back at, in a year's time will come. And Abraham again doubts. He's like, ah, uh, I don't... Are you sure? Even Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
at the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son, unknown to Abraham and Sarah, known to God. Unexpected, yet appointed. 99-year-old Abraham, 90-year-old Sarah. Why? Nothing in them would say, we are totally fit to have children. In our 20s, in our 30s, healthy, nothing standing between us. Glory to God, because the psalmist says every child is a blessing from the Lord. But what about for the 99-year-old and 90-year-old? No way that's possible, the world would say. Yet it is exactly them unexpected yet appointed. We have another unexpected yet appointed one who has come. Unexpected, 500 years of silence. The prophets silenced. No one speaks or advocates on the part of God. Yet the light of the world stepped down in flesh, born in a manger. As Paul in Galatians and in Romans, Galatians 4, verse 4, and Romans chapter 5, verse 6, say, at the right time, at the appointed time. Remember the old hymn, God sent His Son, they called Him Jesus. That's all you're going to get from me unexpected, yet appointed. We see Matthew in his gospel connects Jesus, the Messiah, all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, through the time of priests, through the kings of Israel and Judah, all the way through these dark ages where no one heard from God. And yet, it is that appointed time that the Son of God arrived. Unable, barren, old, no way. No way. Thirdly, the Lord providentially provides for His people and that this Son will be to them a reminder of Yahweh's faithful promises. He will be to them a reminder of Yahweh's faithful promises. This is, this is when we can step back and see the work of God at hand and some of the character and uh, maybe jovial nature of our God. Because Isaac means laughter. Genesis 17, 17, Abraham laughs. I will provide through Sarah an offspring for you. He'd just fallen on his face to worship and adore the Lord, yet now he falls on his face in laughter. No way. Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 18, now Sarah laughs. God provides a reminder in the person and name of Isaac. Don't laugh at me. 
for there is nothing that is impossible with me. What a reminder for us. I'm not saying you should name your child Isaac or your dog or your cat or your car. What a reminder for us that over and over and over again, God has kindly shown his people, Abram and Sarai, that he is going to provide for them an offspring, and they doubt. Over and over and over and over. They needed reminders, so as if to say, please don't ever forget this again. Here is Isaac. For every time you say his name or think about him, you'll remember how you laughed at me. Because this third person of this uh, cohort who visit Abraham and Sarah is none other than the God of all creation who can see into the inward parts of tents just as he can see into the inward parts of our hearts. That when we, as Sarah, laugh at God, we do not surprise him. And he responds to us, why did you laugh? Impossible. No way this can happen. We see Jesus telling those in John's gospel, Nicodemus, What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to enter heaven? Jesus says, be born again. Excuse me, what? How's that going to happen? Going to the depths of saying, am I to enter my mother's womb again and be born again? And what does Jesus say? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all Things are possible. The birth of a son to be an offspring, whereby nations and kings would be formed possible. Sending of the king of all the universe, the offspring of Isaac, possible through God of the universe. Our own salvation and walking in the promise of faithfulness of God, possible. So we might say, that's impossible. Something's wrong with me. I'm spiritually barren. I'm I'm not able to do these different things. I'm not able to walk in obedience. I'm not able to do these different things. I've got stuff from my past. Not possible. 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 Through the work that is finished, Jesus Christ dying on our behalf. It is possible. All things are possible. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And brothers and sisters, there are promises that have been made that we are still waiting on. So I want to give just two applications as it pertains to the promises of God, and it's going to be alliterated because that's how the best ones come. I want you to find comfort in the promises of God, and I want you to find confidence in the promises of God. Both of those things are similar, and that they cause our hearts to, uh, a confidence in God causes our hearts to be comforted in God. And a comfort in God causes us to then be confident in Him. But I want to bifurcate them in in just a, a quick way to be able to emphasize more particularly what I mean. First, find comfort in the promises 
of God. Find comfort in the promises of God and his tender dealings of personally providing for his people from time past. That God has faithfully provided for his people throughout all of history. It may not be easy. We may be sojourning in the wilderness. We may have uh, enemies that have uh, assailed us from every side, as the psalmist says. We may face all kinds of torment by this world. But what does Jesus tell us? I've overcome the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is of the world. Find comfort in those things. To continue to walk in obedience, knowing that the character and credentials of God in the past are always true, that he is faithful to keep the promises that he has made. That's the day today. And also find comfort for tomorrow. As I was up at the church yesterday reading, I've, it's not this Bible, but uh, I've got a Bible that sits next to my chair because that's where all the best studying happens is in a big old chair. And on the inside part of my Bible, right about here, are the names of the men who sat on my ordination council. My grandfather, who's still alive. My uncle, who passed away about this time last year. And I went down the line. And it was about a 50-50 split. Some of these older saints have gone to be with the Lord. And in that moment of sadness... Man, what I wouldn't do to be able to just go to the back of the sanctuary at Sooner Baptist Church and heckle old JC. What I wouldn't do to go and have a burger with Bill. Sadness, yet comfort for the Apostle Paul tells us that we mourn. We're not exempt from mourning, but we mourn with hope. Why? Because the promises of God are true. He is faithful. The one who began a good work will surely see it through. How is that possible? That's impossible. No. Through Christ, His resurrection, as we turn our attention to what He has done in this glorious, death-defying act comfort in the promises of God for tomorrow and for today because God providentially and personally provides for his people. Secondly, don't just find comfort in the promises of God. Find confidence. Find confidence in the promises of God. When the enemy assails you, whether by spiritual attack or by physical participants of spiritual attacks. May you not waver. May you recognize that just as our master, Jesus, was taken to the cross, was given false testimony and handed over to the religious leader, so too we as his servants should not expect any different treatment. You may say, that doesn't sound like very good confidence, Sean. The bedrock 
of our confidence is God's word. That he has continued to be faithful from the beginning of time until now. That our confidence would be rooted in what we see of God, who he is, his character, and namely that he sent his son. If we ever were to doubt, if our confidence were ever to waver that God deals personally and providentially with his people, may we look to the cross where God himself in the person of Jesus Christ deals personally and providentially with our sin. May we find confidence in the promises of God. What is impossible with God? Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. Not raising up an offspring from a barren 90-year-old woman. Not bringing dead sinners to life in Christ. Not raising Lazarus from the dead or himself from the dead to ascend on high. Nothing is impossible with God. Church, aren't you glad that he deals with us personally and providentially and we can find comfort and confidence in his promises? What an awesome God we serve. Let's pray.